I don't know about you, but it's a, it has been a uh, a week for me that I've I've thought and focused about. Uh, yeah, today's Easter, uh, and I've thought about the resurrection uh, of our Lord and uh, uh, so many things that uh, that He's blessed us with. Uh, and just to be able to think and to have thoughts about some of that for a little while has been a blessing to me. And I trust that as uh, as we go across some of this, that I'll be able to compact some of the things that I've got uh, for a little while and uh, and then and get to some things that I, that I trust the Lord has, has blessed me to think about. So uh, this morning, if we can, uh, this is uh, this is a big task, uh, honestly, uh, but if we can for a little while this morning, I want to take a look quickly across the last week of the Lord's life. And then, uh, and because I think it sets in context, and I, and I, and and if, if you will help note uh, with me uh, and think about uh, as we look at this this morning, I want us to pay attention uh, to how much of the four Gospels, uh, what, what percentage of it is actually dedicated to the last week, last day, last the resurrection, the crucifixion, all that. And I think if you're like me, I, I, you know, you think about things, but maybe you don't pay as much attention to them sometimes. And as I looked at this, I thought, wow. Uh, you know, probably 25% in some books and maybe more in some of the others are dedicated to that last week. So you kind of get a feel for the fact that uh, uh, when John wrote in John 21, if all the things that Jesus had done had been recorded in three and a half years, if you think that 25% maybe or so of those Gospels uh, is related to that last week, if everything he'd done had been recorded, the, world's, the world couldn't contain it. Uh, and, you, and you really begin to kind of feel that scripture and begin to feel that uh, uh, what John was talking about. So in, uh, uh, we'll start at a place in John chapter 12. Uh, this is uh, prior to, uh, yeah, uh, this is prior to the time when uh, uh, Jesus met with his apostles, had the Last Supper uh, and, and instituted the communion time that we celebrate now and the, uh, the washing of the saints' feet, which we will enjoy here in a few weeks coming up, uh, uh, a time where we memorial, memorialize and celebrate that. But Jesus came back into the city of Bethany, uh, and during this time that he was staying here in Bethany, uh, where he had previously healed, uh, uh, if you go back to John 11, uh, that was where he had raised Lazarus from the dead. He returns to the city of, uh, of Lazarus uh, to be with Martha and uh, Mary and Lazarus during this time, and during this time, Mary came out and began to anoint his head uh, with ointment, uh, preparing him. Uh, I, I think if I look at that a little bit, I, it made me think about the fact that the high priest, and I know this is several days ahead of time, but uh, how that high priest, as Brother Adam noted on Wednesday night, had to be anointed with oil before he went in to perform his service. And Mary comes and she takes that ointment and puts it on him and on his hair, and of course, Judas is there complaining about the fact that uh, all this all this waste of, of money uh, is being spent on the Lord. Uh, uh, and, and the Lord rebukes him during that time uh, uh, to let her do what she could uh, and, and doing that. So uh, we find that's kind of the beginning of the week, if you will, uh, that, uh, that begins to play out here uh, during this period of time. So let's turn over, if we can, from John chapter 12, uh, and let's look at Luke uh, uh, chapter 19, uh, because here in Luke chapter 19, we have then Jesus, uh, after he had left Bethany, uh, he begins his entry into Jerusalem, uh, which here, where he is greeted by those uh, uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, laid down the palms and so forth. You know, a lot of people say Palm Friday. Well, you know, fooey with all that kind of stuff, you know, they, they, if they can't uh, keep up with all the dates right, well, then they need to go back and look at some of that. But anyway, uh, about a week before this time, uh, six days or so prior to uh, uh, to the Passover, he comes to Bethany. Uh, he enters. Uh, he, he is anointed with oil. He then leaves Bethany, and we begin here in Luke uh, about verse 20, 28, 29, and it says, "When he thus spoken, uh, he went." Uh, uh, before and ascended up to Jerusalem and came to pass when he was uh, come nigh to Bethpage in Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village over against you in which you are entering and you shall find a colt tied whereon never, a uh, yet never man sat, loose him and bring him hither. Uh, this just seems like a minor little miracle, you know, but it goes back to prove once again as Jesus 
uh, prayed in his prayer in John chapter 17, uh, which is a, a later uh, occurrence here during this week, maybe the night before his crucifixion, we find Jesus praying, Father, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Uh, he had power over all flesh. He proved it again and again and again. Uh, he had power to raise Lazarus out of the grave. Uh, he had power to take a colt, uh, the fold of an ass uh, uh, that had never been ridden on. Uh, maybe I've never broken a horse or anything like that or broken a, uh, or ridden a mule or ridden a donkey or anything like that. Uh, uh, but I've seen enough folks that tried to do it and attempted to do it. Uh, uh, may have been on TV, but you see the, those folks trying to do that. And I'll tell you one that's never been ridden before doesn't care for it. Uh, but we find uh, the Lord goes and gets and sends them to one that had never been ridden. He climbs on and goes straight into town. Uh, I'm telling you, miracle, you know, you say, well, uh, that's not that. It is a big deal, my friends. It's a big deal uh, uh, that the Lord had power and proved his power uh, here in this case. Uh, so uh, uh, he rides in, he rides into the city, and, and we find it there, um, uh, riding in that way, uh, going, up, going up into town. The, the people are all greeting him. They're recognizing him as the son of David, uh, the one that's come, the one that's coming uh, into town. Uh, uh, all of those uh, uh, others didn't recognize him. Uh, many of the chief priests, the Pharisees, and others that were in place. Uh, why? Because uh, they weren't looking for Jesus to come in such a meek and lowly way into town. They were looking for one that was going to come, uh, sit on the throne of uh, uh, what they call the throne of David, uh, returning Israel back to a, a land and a country and run out the Romans and chase them away. Uh, uh, but we find Jesus uh, a little bit later uh, uh, talking about some of these things as he's accused before Pilate uh, and talking to Pilate, uh, uh, telling, telling them, if my kingdom were of this world, uh, then would my disciples fight. Uh, his kingdom kingdom wasn't a worldly kingdom. It's not a worldly kingdom today. It's not, not intended to be a worldly kingdom. It's a kingdom of hearts and minds and spirits born again by the grace of God that unite together and worship him as we, uh, even as we try to do a little bit here this morning. Now, so as we go down on through these things, uh, we get to verse 45 of Luke 19, and we find here that Jesus has entered in again to the temple after he makes his entrance. Where does he go? He goes. He does what Jesus always does. He went to the temple. He went to teach. He went to a synagogue. He went. He was uh, the example that he set was much like you saw the travels of the Apostle Paul. When Paul was traveling, he'd go to a city. Uh, he'd enter into the synagogue. He would go to the place where people met to worship, uh, and he would go in to teach them there. Uh, Jesus goes into the temple. Uh, what Jesus finds in verse forty-five, he went into the temple and he began to cast out them that sold therein. And them that bought, uh, saying unto them, It is written, My house uh, is the house of prayer, uh, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Uh, you know, it would have, it would have no doubt caught their eyes that uh, that day or their ears. Uh, my house, it is written, my house uh, is a house of prayer. Uh, and Jesus begins to, to cast them out. And he taught daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the people uh, sought to destroy him and could, and could not find what they might do. For all the people were very attentive uh, to hear him. <laughs> Uh, these uh, these chief priests uh, uh, weren't con concerned as much about pleasing the Lord uh, and seeking what was the Lord's counsel. You know, I've, I, I thought about it as I read through this story. Uh, we find later uh, uh, they bring him forth, and uh, and we may I may repeat myself a time or two as we go through some of this uh, uh, this last week. But as uh, as he's coming in, they bring him uh, before the chief priest, uh, and the chief priests say, uh, you know, begin to question him, "Art thou the Christ?" In 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 Mark chapter 15, uh, uh, verse 1, I believe it is, he says, I am. Many times people were wondering. Well, he never said he was the Christ. Yes, he did. Uh, he confessed it before them. He confessed it in other ways, in other places. He confessed it here in saying, my house uh, is a house of prayer uh, and not, a, not to be a den of thieves. Uh, so as they, as they were talking to him there, uh, uh, he confessed openly that uh, he was the Christ. Uh, and, the, and the chief priest who had all the lineage, who had all the records, 
who had all the genealogy, had been keeping up with it year after year after year after year because they knew that Christ was to be of the tribe of Judah, to be the son of David. They had all this lineage. I don't ever find once where they said, you know, we might ought to go check the lineage records and see if this guy really could be the Christ. They just immediately condemned him because he wasn't a priest. He wasn't there like them. He wasn't raised up in the priesthood. He didn't come in as a conquering king. Whatever reason, whatever excuses, and they didn't want him to have the power. They were threatened by this man that all the people were very attentive to. Uh, uh, So uh, uh, they didn't go check the records. They didn't do all of that. They just immediately began to conspire. And uh, we'll get to some of that, I trust. But they began to conspire. What can we do to get him out of the way? What can we do to begin to put him uh, uh, to the side? Uh, So he comes in. He cleans out the temple. uh, And we find here uh, uh, Jesus' authority. uh, They began to question. It came to pass uh, that on one of these days, uh, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders uh, and spake to him, saying, Tell us by what authority thou dost, dost thou these things? Or, or who is he that gave thee this authority? Who is it told you you could come in uh, and cast out uh, 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 these money changers? And those, you know, that's a, that's a, we had a little side business going here trying to make a little money. What, who gave you the authority uh, to do that? And he answered and said unto them, I will ask you one thing and answer me. <laughs> uh, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or, or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, uh, saying, "If we say from heaven, he'll say, Why then have you not believed? Why have you not believed? Why then believed ye not him not?" Uh, and uh, and he says, uh, "And if we say of man, all the people will stone us, uh, for the, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet." Uh, and they answered and said that we could not tell whence uh, uh, whence it was. We we don't know if it was from heaven or, or from men. And Jesus said unto them. Neither tell I you, tell I you uh, by what authority I do these things. Uh, if you don't have enough discernment uh, to know that John uh, was a man sent from God, uh, uh, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, uh, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I cast these out uh, uh, that are standing here. So uh, uh, they begin to they begin to look, and we find uh, Jesus then goes through, and I'll not go through all of this. I want to give you all the some detail and some big picture here this morning. So then you begin to go into all the uh, the parables that are written. He begins to to tell parables talking about Israel. He tells the two par- he tells the parable about the two sons. Uh, uh, there are two sons. Uh, now this is over in Matthew. You'll have to turn to Matthew uh, chapter twenty one to find this record. Uh, uh, but he says uh, he tells them about two sons. Uh, one said they would serve the father, and the one said he wouldn't. Uh, the one that said he would serve the father didn't, uh, and the one that said he wouldn't uh, later did. Which one? One of them did the will of the Father uh, is the question he begins to ask. Y'all have heard that story uh, uh, in times past. Uh, he talked about the wicked husbandmen, uh, those who were taking care of the vineyard, uh, looking out after things, uh, and they killed those that came in. They killed uh, uh, the servants. Uh, uh, they killed, and finally the, the the master of the vineyard sent in his son, uh, and they killed the son. Uh, uh, he began. To, he's telling them all these parables. Uh, you can find that one here in Luke uh, in Luke chapter twenty. You can read that. Uh, and finally, he talks to them. Uh, and in Matthew 22, uh, if you're piecing these things together from Matthew 21 over to 22, uh, then he begins to talk to them about the marriage feast and those that were invited to come in and enjoy the marriage feast. Uh, and But they would not come in uh, uh, to the marriage feast. And so they sent them out into the highways and the byways uh, to gather others into the marriage feast. Uh, this is not talking about eternal heaven, by the way. Uh, it's talking about here in the kingdom. Uh, the Jews rejected coming to hear him and sitting down at the table of God. Uh, and so he went out uh, to the Gentiles uh, and went out into the highways and byways. Uh, and when there was those that did not have the wedding garment on, they kicked him out of they kicked him out of the place. Uh, so he begins to tell them all these parables and so forth. Uh, then we find uh, uh, turning down a little bit further here in Luke chapter twenty, uh, uh, and we begin uh, uh, maybe down in about verse uh, verse twenty or so. Uh, uh, but he says he began to be questioned by the religious leaders uh, that were there. We find that first of all he was questioned by three groups of people. Now during this time, 
keep all this together. He's come in. He's cast out. Uh, he's come into the temple. He's come into the city, ro- rode in on this colt, this fold uh, of an ass, uh, uh, this young colt that had never been ridden. People are greeting him. He goes to the temple. He cast out the money changers. Uh, people come to him and say, by what authority are you doing this? Uh, uh, and he tells them, uh, ask them a question. They don't answer. Uh, kind of summarizing for you here a little bit. Now uh, uh, we come to the place uh, after he had read the parables. T- Really, those parables were condemning Israel about what they had done. They, you, there were those that were saying, we serve the Lord, but they didn't serve the Lord. There was those that saying, uh, we, won't, uh, we won't serve the Lord, but yet they did serve the Lord. Uh, there were those, uh, there, 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 they as a people were that wicked husbandman uh, who had killed the prophets and were going to kill the son. Uh, he was prophesying all these things to them. And so finally after this... Uh, Three different distinguished groups come up to question him a little bit about some things. Uh, first group that comes to question him is a group called the Herodians. Uh, they were followers of Jesus. Uh, they were followers of Herod. They were Israelites who were followers of Herod who were in league with the Romans. Uh, and the reason they were in league with the Romans was mostly for money. So the question they come and ask Jesus, and uh, uh, trust uh, trust we can find it. He says, uh, uh, verse twenty, and they. Uh, the chief priest and scribes, verse 19, the same hour sought to lay hands on him, and they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. They were right. <laughs> and they watched him and set forth spies, which should feign themselves or lie, and that they might take hold of his words, so that he might, so that they might deliver him under the power and authority of the governor. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest. And you say, well, now, Brother Charles, how do you know this is the Herodians? I'm going to tell you, well, have a little fun. Read across all four gospel accounts, and you'll find uh, that it tells you this is the Herodians, okay? And it says, uh, it, uh, um, Master, we know that thou, uh, thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou person of any, uh, but, teachest, uh, uh, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar? You have, you ever, have you ever seen anybody come into some uh, someone and before they wanted to talk to them? Uh, I'm sure some of those those of you that work have probably never seen anything like this. Uh, but before they ask the boss a question, they come and say, "You know, I, I really do enjoy working for you, man. You're one of the greatest guys I've ever seen." You know, and so the Herodians come in. They say. We, Master, we know you're a man come from God. You teach things truly, uh, no doubt. You're man, whew, you really, you really got it right in, in everything that you do. Uh, uh, but, but we got a question. We got a little question we want to ask. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or no? Uh, now their reasoning and their thinking is, is uh, you know, <clears throat> you're giving money to someone that claims to be King God. In Caesar, so uh, you know, surely you, you shouldn't give someone to money to someone that claims to be God above the one true and living God. Is it lawful for us to give money to tri- to Caesar or give tribute to Caesar? He perceived their craftiness and said unto them, "Why tempt ye me? Show me a penny, whose image and superscription uh, hath it?" They answered and said, "Caesar's." <laughs> and he said, "Render unto Caesar." the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And they could not get hold, take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer and held their peace. Uh, uh, even they marveled at his answer, but the big thing is they noticed how the people responded to the answer. The people were in awe of the answer, the wisdom of the answer of Jesus Christ, and they, they feared to do anything because of this. And uh, then he said unto them, and, and they could not take, okay, then came they to him a certain of the Sadducees, which deny that there's any resurrection, and they asked him, Master, uh, Moses wrote unto us, if a man's brother die, I'm going to go through this quickly and to read it all. If a man's brother, if a, if a woman's husband die, uh, and uh, and uh, you know she's to marry, she can marry the brother, and so forth and so on, uh, to raise up seed in the same family name and so forth. Well, if this happens seven times, uh, uh, you know the last of the woman died also. There in the resurrection, verse thirty-three, whose wife of them is she? If she's married seven brothers, and now she's died, and they've all gone. Whose husband, you know, will it will be hers in the resurrection? <clears throat> and Jesus answering said unto them, 
The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, and they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he calleth the Lord and so forth. He then teaches them that God is a God of the living, not a God of the dead. He's, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not he was the God of them, but he is today and he is a, of, of mine, your parents and others that have gone on. For God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, and all for all live unto him. And certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast, uh, thou hast well said. <laughs> yeah. And after that, they just had not asked him any questions at all. Now, if you turn over to the 22nd, uh, uh, 23rd chapter, or 22nd chapter of Matthew, you'll find written over there that the, uh, the Pharisees also had a question. Now, I mean, if you want to categorize three groups of people, the Herodians are concerned about money. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, so they ask him a question trying to trip him up on the resurrection. And the Pharisees were very concerned about the law. So they come to him and they asked him, uh, uh, Master, uh, uh, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Boy, I know we're going to get him now. We have got him set because now he's going to have to choose which law is the greatest. Well, you know the answer. Uh, uh, he begins to teach them and says, uh, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy might. And he says, the second is like unto the first. Uh, love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, he begins to teach them these things. And again, the Bible says they, they were silenced. They knew they, there was nothing else they could ask and think to ask him anymore. Uh, uh, and it says, uh, uh, Jesus then, uh, we may have to go down to verse 45. Yeah, go just following right on with where we were. It says, uh, then, then the audience of the people said unto him, uh, he said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long roads and love greetings in the markets and the high seats and in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses and show, for a show uh, make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. So, I mean, right here in the temple, I want you, don't want you to lose focus of all this. He's there in the temple talking to them in the days prior to his resurrection. And not only is he teaching them uh, through parables the condemnation of, uh, uh, of Israel, uh, he's then teaching uh, as they ask him questions, he's responding to them in ways that proves the wisdom and the greatness of God, whether it's in, it revolves around our money, whether it revolves around the resurrection, whether it revolves around the law. Jesus had the answers. And finally, he tells and looks at them and says, Beware of the scribes and the chief priests, uh, you know, because they'll devour widows' houses for all they want to do. Mate, as I read through this, tell you what it made me think about, or one of the things it made me think about. It made me think about the prosperity doctrine that's so, uh, so deceiving to people today. Uh, there are people out there that are, 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 are robbing widows of their last dime, promising them that if they'll just give, God's blessings will be poured out to them out on high. I'll tell you, it's one of the great heresies that's taught out there in the world today. Uh, uh, that if you'll just uh, if you'll just give so much money, uh, God will just open the storehouse of heaven and pour it out on you. Uh, uh, that uh, uh, this this wealth doctrine. If you really have the right faith and you're doing the right thing, somehow you're going to be rich in this world. I'll tell you, all I have to do is look at Jesus Christ. All I have to do is look at John the Baptist. All I have to do is look at the Apostle Paul. All I have to do is look at many of the prophets who had basically nothing and went from place to place and town to town and I'll, you say, well, but what about Joseph? Uh, what about David? Uh, what about Solomon? Uh, you know what that proves to me? Uh, it proves to me God's able to bless us materially as well as spiritually. Uh, uh, but it doesn't mean that he is going to. Uh, the greatest man that ever lived, Jesus Christ, he had no place to lay his head, uh, uh, much less. Uh, and, and when there was time to pay tribute certain times, uh, he told the disciples, go down there, catch that fish. Uh, and then they opened up the fish and they had the money inside the, the fish's mouth to pay the 
to pay the bill that they needed to pay. Uh, that's the way my Lord worked. Uh, uh, he didn't work on some great commission uh, of, uh, uh, of great money and all those things. So anyway, uh, just pitch that in to you. So we turn over a little bit further now, uh, down through uh, Luke chapter 21. He's still standing in the temple. Uh, this is still the days leading up to the, uh, to the uh, crucifixion. Uh, and he looked up and he saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said of a truth, I say unto you, this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have, their, have of their abundance cast in the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. She gave all she had. You know, sometimes you look around, people may not be rich in this world, uh, but you know what? They have a love of God. Uh, they have they have the, maybe the greatest prayer life of anybody you know. Uh, maybe uh, uh, some, older, some older women, uh, some of our grandmothers uh, and some of our uh, grandfathers uh, uh, that lived out on the farm, uh, just scratched out a living from day to day. Uh, barely had anything to get by, but they knew how to go to church. Uh, they knew how to pray. Uh, uh, they knew how to give what they had of their sustenance to God. They knew how to take their crops and help feed the pastors and the teachers and the preachers uh, uh, that were there. Uh, and I'll tell you, uh, these people, Jesus looks on this poor widow uh, and he's just, he's just sitting, he's just in the temple. He's, uh, he's driven out the money changers. Uh, he's taught the parables. He answered the questions. Now he turns around and sees the poor little widow coming in. Uh, uh, she cast in all she had. And he makes note of it and records it here for you and I to note just how observant he was. Can you imagine if everything he had done, everything he observed, everything he said had been written down? Oh, what a great blessing. Uh, but God has left us a record uh, of what we need to know. Uh, well, the next thing that we find him going into, and I'm go not going to go into this at all other than just to mention it. Uh, he then goes in, uh, uh, the, the disciples take him and say, Master, let us show you all the buildings of the temple. Uh, well, okay, so they show him the buildings of the temple, uh, and he begins to tell them, uh, uh, <clears throat> destroy this temple, you know, you destroy this temple, uh, and in three days uh, I'll raise it up again. Uh, uh, and, and so then he begins the Olivet, what is known as the Olivet Discourse, Ma Matthew chapters 24 and 25, if you were over in Matthew, and he begins to tell them, they wanted to know, Master, uh, Tell us when these things shall be and what shall be the sign of thy coming. And so he goes into this long discourse then uh, covering a couple of chapters there in Matthew telling them about when these things, the destruction of Jerusalem was going to come. Uh, in fact, if we turn over to 20, I think it's to 23, uh, uh, maybe Matthew chapter 23, uh, uh, prior to these things, uh, uh, the Bible records for us that he looks on Jerusalem uh, and begins to mourn uh, and moan at those things. Uh, and uh, it says... Uh, uh, Beginning with verse uh, uh, verse 34 is where you could start, I guess, in there. But I'm going to start down with 30, 35, 36. Uh, and it says, Verily, verily, uh, verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. So it's it's a portion uh, of, of his Sermon on the Mount that's gathered in, in here in, in Matthew leading up to that. Uh, and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets uh, uh, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, I'm glad to see it. I, I saw it recorded here uh, uh, the other day sometime or another. Uh, uh, there, are more, there are more Jews today serving, uh, uh, serving uh, uh, Christ and believing and worshiping Christ than probably ever any time in, in the record of the world. Uh, uh, but uh, he looks at these people and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you together. I would have given you the coverage of my wings if you'd have just come to me, but thou wouldest not. And he says, you'll not, uh, you'll not see me henceforth uh, till ye say, blessed is he that cometh uh, in the name of the Lord. There, uh, I believe uh, that's, a, that's a, a, a telling saying, my friends. Uh, there's going, and it fits so well in with Romans 11, uh, that they have been blinded till the time of the Gentiles is full. Uh, and then uh, uh, Jews are going to look once again and cry out, uh, uh, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I believe that day is going to come for us uh, uh, here. But he looks at this and, and begins to, uh, to cry out. So then if we turn just a little bit further, uh, uh, beginning with 
Luke chapter, go back to Luke. Uh, uh, we'll look at Luke uh, chapter 22 now. Uh, we find after he has given this Olivet Discourse uh, and so forth, uh, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. So now we're, now we're to the Passover, right? I told you I'd been off a lot this morning. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and Lord willing, we'll share some things with you. And so the time had come for the Passover. Uh, you know, if you, if you don't know this, I told, I told some folks I was up at Flint yesterday uh, in Huntsville and uh, uh, preaching up there and talking to some folks. I said, you know, uh, these smartphones are, are good stuff, right? I mean, don't you have to admit smartphones, you know, are, are helpful and everything? Well, man, there's a free. There's a couple of free apps. I, I know the two apps have to be free because they're on my phone. And uh, so I downloaded a couple of apps that are, that are, are uh, uh, Jewish calendars, right? And it'll tell you like today is uh, what is today? Today is March twenty. April for April first. Thank you, uh, boy. I'm, I've lost all kinds of days. Today's April first. And I'm not fooling. And uh, so, so today's April 1st. Uh, but if you look back at the last couple of days, you'd find out yesterday was the 15th day of Nisan. <clears throat> and Friday was the 14th day of Nisan. You say, well, so what? Uh, I didn't even know Nissan had a calendar. I thought they just had Corollas or whatever. Anyway, uh, so, you know, today was the 14th day of Nissan. Yeah, uh, Friday was the 14th day of Nissan. That's the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar, which is the Passover. Yesterday was the, first day, the 15th day of the, of the month of Nisan. It's the first day of the, of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Uh, we find followed by that the Feast of the First Fruits, which marked the resurrection. The Feast of the First Fruits, by the way, was the first day after, or, or the first day of the week following the Sabbath day. So today, technically, in their, in their calendar, today would be the Feast of the First Fruits. Now, uh, we get, to get three days in, you'd have to go back you know, to Wednesday or so forth and so on. But in their calendar, you celebrated First Fruits on the day after the weekly Sabbath. So yesterday would have been a double Sabbath for them. It would have been the Feast of First Fruits as well as the Saturday Sabbath. So it would have been a double Sabbath on their on their calendar. So he comes. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Now, uh, if you read across the accounts of what they were talking about, they wanted to take him right then. But it was Passover. You know what happens at Passover in Jerusalem? Everybody comes in. Why, it's Passover time, and not only that, there was a requirement in the Jewish law that three times a year all the males had to assemble in Jerusalem. A feast of first fruits, Pentecost, and, uh, and also tabernacles, which occurs in the fall. So it would have been a time when the, the city would have been crowded and covered with people. And during this time... Jesus had been teaching in the temple, and a lot of people were there. And the, so they were like, well, you know, we don't want, they were conspiring, but we don't need to take him right now because the people will rebel. But you know what ended up happening? They were going to wait. But the Lord had his plan too. And the Lord's plan was to lay down his life on the Passover and be the Passover lamb. So he goes on. Uh, they entered. Uh, then Satan entered into Judas, named Iscariot, uh, being of the number of the twelve, and he went his way and communed with the chief priest uh, and the captains how he might betray him. And they were glad and coveted to, to, to give him money, uh, and he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the, in the absence of the multitude, in the absence of the multitude. He was going to betray them when the multitudes weren't around. You ever wondered why they came to Jesus in the garden at midnight? Because the crowd wasn't around. The people weren't there. The chief priest came armed with swords. And Jesus looks at them and says, uh, who are y'all coming after? Coming after me? Uh, I mean, you know, in, in essence... Uh, why have you come with swords and staves and spears? And all? Why have you come with all this weaponry? Uh, you know, we've got two swords over here. <laughs> you know, we got a couple of swords. Of course, Peter used his pretty good uh, uh, and cut off Malchus's ear. But, you know, why have you come out here this way? Uh, they were scared of him, friends. 
They knew about the miracles. They knew about the things he'd done. They knew about the things that he had said. And so anyway, uh, uh, as, we, as we go on, uh, so he next sends them in. Uh, uh, if we go on to Luke, uh, continue on down here, Luke. He sends them in to prepare for the, uh, for the Passover. He sends his apostles in. Uh, he tells them, says, you'll go into town. You'll see a man with a pitcher of water. I, I, didn't, I, I was reading something else this week, and I thought... Uh, Ooh, this guy's right, uh, uh, maybe in what he's saying. He says, you know, you'd think, well, so what's the big deal? How are you going to know which man's toting a pitcher of water? Uh, for those of you that have been to Africa, I'll ask this question. How many men do you see toting a pitcher of water? You don't see anybody. It's the women toting water. Uh, so you send them in, you send these apostles into town and tell them, you'll find a man carrying a pitcher of water. Uh, it would have been an unusual occurrence to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. Uh, and so they would have found him directly. Uh, and he says, you inquire of this man, tell him he have need of a place for Passover, and he'll show you a great upper room that's already prepared. Everything's laid out. God had, been, had this man working behind the scenes. Uh, he might not have known why he was preparing that room. Uh, maybe he was planning on selling it out to other visitors that were coming in. But Jesus sent them directly to the one uh, that would have had a place for them. Uh, so he goes, uh, he has the Passover supper. Uh, they partake of bitter herbs uh, and, uh, uh, and, of the, and of the lamb. Uh, and then Jesus begins to show them uh, a, new, a new service. Uh, and they take the bread and they break it. And they take the wine and they partake of it. And after they had taken those things, Jesus laid aside his coat, turned to John chapter 13. If you want to read the short summary of all of this, you can turn to John chapter 13 now. Uh, you notice how all these things begin about John 11 or 12. There's only 21 chapters in John. You see what a great portion of that thing is dedicated to these last days. Uh, and so uh, uh, turn over to John 13. You'll find what they had to pass over after the Passover and after he'd had the bread and the wine uh, with, with his disciples telling them he had desired this day. He had desired to have this communion with them, this last supper with them that, that was going to take place. And then he took aside, he laid his coat aside, he kneeled down and washed his uh, apostles' feet and gave them one more example of service and how to serve. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to go across some things real quickly so y'all just stay with me. Uh, uh, so then, if you want to read the summary of what happens, uh, then Jesus begins to teach them. Uh, it's unclear to me, did he teach them in the upper room or did he teach them as he was walking back out of Jerusalem because they departed Jerusalem and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, after they had had that supper, uh, they went to Gethsemane. There we have recorded the prayer. But John 14, 15, and 16 is the last message that Jesus gave to his apostles. Uh, he tells them in that message, uh, you'll be known uh, by your love one to another. Uh, you'll be known. Uh, you want to abide in the vine, uh, stay in the vine, uh, uh, that you might bring forth much fruit. Now that's John 15. I'm giving you the condensed version. Uh, uh, love one another. Uh, love each other. Uh, uh, abide in the vine. Uh, uh, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. Stay in the vine that you might bring forth much fruit. And you know what? Uh, he promises them if you stay in the vine, the husbandman, the God the Father, is going to purge you. He's going to trim that thing up. Why? So you'll bring forth much fruit. Me and, me and, uh, me and Doris have been kind of amazed. Probably in the 20-something years... I am not a, uh, I'm not a brother J.D. I am not a, a, a farmer, gardener. I'm, you know, I grew up doing some of that kind of stuff, but to claim I have any skills that it would be way exaggerated. Uh, but last year, probably for the very first time uh, since we've been living at the, at the house here in Jasper, which, by the way, is like 25, 26 years now. That just rocks my rocks my thinking sometimes uh but uh uh we we went out and trimmed the azaleas like they say you're supposed to trim the azaleas uh, right after the blooms die off trim them up uh so that when they bud back out you know well man those things are full of blooms this year i mean they're on the top they're on the sides they're on the bottom look about as pretty as anything whatever because we trimmed them up and did it right. Now, you say, now why are you telling that, Brother Charles? I'm telling you, God the Father, when you abide in the vine, trims you up so that you bring forth much fruit. Sometimes there's going to be afflictions in your life. You're not going to understand the affliction. Some of the afflictions are brought about by you, but sometimes God graciously brings affliction into our life to burn off the dross and to make us more fruitful and draw us closer to Him. So uh, uh, stay in the vine. And then He tells them, I'm going away. But I'll not leave you comfortless. I'll send a comforter to you. 
So now he goes out, he goes out to the garden, and I'm just going to have to summarize. He goes to Gethsemane. Like I said, it's unclear, did he teach that message in the upper room, or did he teach it as they were walking back down? And maybe as he passed a vineyard or a vine, he says, uh, 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 I am the vine, near the branches. And he gives them a visual picture as he's walking back out to Gethsemane. But he goes to Gethsemane. He bows down to pray. We have the prayer, one prayer recorded in John chapter 17, as we've already quoted earlier. Uh, but we have in other places in the other Gospels, it's recorded that uh, Jesus went to the garden to pray uh, and James and John and Peter uh, went with him to watch it. He says, come, watch and pray. And as he kneel, as, uh, as he told him, says, you stay here, you watch and pray. Jesus went out a little further and bowed down and prayed and said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. I'm here to tell you there was no difference in the will of the Father and the will of the Son. Jesus was showing that he knew the agony that was coming, I believe. He knew that he didn't know. He had some idea of the physical agony. I could maybe imagine that. But you know, Jesus, the Bible tells us, had never been without the Father. There'd never been a time when he'd been absent. And whatever time, you know, we think in time. I can't think it outside of time. But in all of eternity, for Jesus Christ, there'd never been a time when he'd not been with the Father. And he had no idea what it was going to be like on that day on the cross when our sins were placed upon him and the skies went dark and his wrath of God was poured out upon him there. He had no idea what that was going to be like. And as he was thinking and approaching that time, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, I didn't come to do what my will, Father. I came to do your will. And so, uh, and so, uh, uh, the the prayer begins to be made, uh, and uh, and we could go and we could go back out and look uh, a little bit further. Uh, but in uh, in Luke chapter twenty three, uh, uh, I'm just uh, continuing on through these things. Uh, uh, it says that uh, uh, during this time, uh, Judas came and found him there. Uh, well, I get, maybe that's in the last part of twenty two. Uh, uh, there, where uh, where they were talking about uh, it in Gethsemane. Uh, but during that time, uh, you find Judas comes. Uh, with the chief priest. It's midnight. Uh, Jesus has been praying. Uh, Jesus gets up from his prayer, turns around. This happened two or three times, by the way. Uh, uh, but uh, Jesus gets up from his prayer, goes over to where James and John and Peter are at, and they're snoozing away. You know, I, I told somebody yesterday, I said, how many of y'all have ever eaten a big meal uh, and then sat down and, and, and kind of go... They'd gone out to the garden with Jesus to pray after just having to pass over supper, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the communion bread and wine, and now they're out there kneeling down, and he's telling them to watch and pray. And I'm sure they were intentions were good, but it's midnight, and they nodded off. And Jesus tells them, uh, finally, he says, sleep on. Uh, and then uh, finally he tells them, says, awake, the hour has come. And about that time, the chief priest and the soldiers and Judas showed up. And Judas had already left, uh, Judas had already left a, a mark and told him, said, here's how you'll know which one he is. Says, I'll go up and kiss him on the cheek. And so Judas goes up and kisses him on the cheek, says, Master. And about that time, the soldiers come in, they bind him, and they take him away. So as we, as we, as we continue on through this, we find the first place, and I think you have to go back maybe to John uh, chapter 18 to actually find this particular portion. The first place they carry him, there was uh, they six uh, six interviews that Jesus is about to have. Uh, uh, first of all, Jesus is carried uh, uh, to uh, to uh, uh, Annas, uh, who is uh, who is the uh, high, the ex high priest, if you want to call it, Caiaphas's father-in-law. He had been the high priest, uh, and they take him to Annas, uh, and we'll just try to turn over there real quickly because I think I'm I think I've got my order right. Uh, they take him over there uh, uh, and. and and began to uh, uh, talk to him there. Then Jesus said to Peter, chapter 18, uh, then Jesus said to Peter, put up thy sword. Well, I'm back a little bit. And it says, now uh, Caiaphas, and they led him away to Annas. Verse 13, they led him away to Annas first, for he is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. And again, I'm going to give you the summary because uh, I know what uh, what we're facing and what we're looking at here uh, on, on an Easter, uh, Easter Sunday morning. Uh, but they take him into Annas. Uh, they question him. They call witnesses in. 
Uh, and it says uh, it's recorded across, as you look across the stories of the Gospels, the witnesses couldn't agree. They couldn't agree what the problem, they were trying to find out what has Jesus done wrong and they brought in false accusers to, to accuse him and the false accusers couldn't agree with one another what it was that he had done wrong. They sent him to Caiaphas. Caiaphas questions him. He's the high priest. Same thing, false witnesses. Finally, the, uh, they bring him in and say, well, you know, he said that the, if the temple was destroyed... They had two guys that agreed that Jesus said if the temple's destroyed, he had raised it back up again in three days without hands. Total false accusation and misrepresentation of what Jesus had said. But now they had something. They had something they could charge him with. Uh, and they began to question him. This is where if you turn to Mark 15, uh, Caiaphas looks at him, uh, or they look at him and say, uh, uh, who, are, who art thou? Let's turn over to Mark chapter 15 for just a minute. Y'all stay with me. Uh, so in Mark 15, we turn over there uh, and... Uh, now i got to find Mark 15, right? And straightway in the morning, the chief priest held consultation uh, with the elders. Uh, here we come to another consultation. Uh, and straightway in the morning, the chief priest held consultation uh, and, uh, and held a consultation with elders and the scribes and the whole council. This is a whole Sanhedrin has come together. Uh, they'd taken him. Uh, and so uh, after they had found this accusation that could be made against Jesus, then they say, well, you know what? we got a little problem here. Uh we don't have power to put anybody to death. That's the, that's the Roman government's power. So they send him over to Pilate. Pilate uh, examines him. Pilate questions him uh, and talks to him and says, uh, uh, I find no fault with thee. And somebody says, uh, well, uh, he was preaching these things even when he was up in Galilee. Pilate's ears perk up. He's from Galilee. I don't have jurisdiction over Galilee. That's Herod. And guess what? Herod's in town for the Passover. Uh, so he sends him over to Herod. Herod says, man, I have been wanting to see you. I hear you can do some miracles, man. I'd like to see some of these miracles. Uh, uh, and Jesus answered him not a word. All along fulfilling the prophecy that was said, he would go as a lamb before his shares dumb. Silent, not speaking, not not making raving accusation, not even responding. Do you realize what a miracle that is? Sure. Do you realize how many of you, when you're falsely accused by someone, immediately jumps in and says, "That's not true. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. I didn't do this." Jesus is being accused falsely of all these things, and other than answer a question or two when they asked him, said, "Are thou the Christ?" Thou sayest. And another occasion, I am, which would have been a, which would have been, I'm telling you, the Bible doesn't record it, but when he said I am, I almost get this picture of they would have fallen back at his voice, being shaken by him saying, I am that I am. I am the one. They would have known this, uh, this phraseology was specifically to the Jews and to them at that time. So he goes to Pilate, he goes to Herod. Uh, after Herod talks to him, Herod finds no fault with him either. Herod sends him back to Pilate. You can find some of this recorded over in, in the book of Luke, I believe it is, Luke 23 or so. And I'm again, I'm not going to go to exact verses. Y'all can follow through and do some reading, and Lord willing, we might even do some more study on this as time goes on. I find all this so fascinating. So the, next time, the, the, the last time he comes back to Pilate, Pilate's wife comes to him. Pilate's wife says, I've had a dream about this man, this just man. You need to leave your hands off this Jesus. Uh, and Pilate says, "Hey, you know what? Uh, I, I think uh, I think you've got the, I think you've got a good idea there. You know uh, uh, what I need to do is during this time of the Passover, it's the custom of the Roman government that we can release one of these people. One of these prisoners can be released back to the people. Let's go to the people and tell them." I've got the answer to all this. I'm going to release him back to you. Uh, and so uh, uh, as he comes to this, and uh, I hope I can turn and find the right place and the right verses and so forth uh, uh, where, he, where he talks about this. I know it's over in uh, Matthew and uh, Matthew and in Luke. Uh, so he comes to them and says, I, I've got the answer. They said, they began to cry out, no. And they said, well, the man that's supposed to be tried is a, a fellow who's a thief and a murderer and a seditionist, a man by the name of Barabbas. 
said, we'll, we'll, release, we'll uh, crucify Barabbas uh, and, uh, and we'll let Jesus go free. We'll let him be the one that goes free during this time. And they said, no, we want, we want Barabbas released. We want Barabbas. And they began to cry, crucify Jesus and release Barabbas. I knew this, but I'll tell you something during the course of this week and I was studying this and I began to look. How many of y'all know and and recognize the scripture that you find over in Romans 8? It talks about, in in the 8th chapter of the book of of Romans, I'll have to just turn over there and make sure I read it right for you. Uh, It talks about uh, the spirit, well, as many as are led, verse 14, as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba means Father. We cry, Father, Father. The spirit comes upon us. Well, there's a unique thing in the, uh, maybe in the language that we find over there. The word bar in, in uh, in this setting means son of. Bar Abbas, son of the father. The son of the father who was a murderer and a thief and a seditionist was let go free while another son of the father that was totally innocent went to the cross. That's me and you, friends. We're the son of the father that's guilty. And we were let go while the sinless son of the father, Jesus Christ, went to the cross for you and me. That's what the story's about. That's why he came. That's why he came here. That's why he spent three and a half years in, in ministry and teaching all, and doing miracles and healing and coming to this day and this hour for the Passover when he would be taken captive. Uh, and we find him uh, after this time when they refused to release him. Uh, they went out and tied him to a pole uh, and they whipped him with whips. Uh, they tore the flesh off of him, uh, uh, but they didn't break a bone. <laughs> and then they gave him a cross to carry up. We say Golgotha's hill. Do you know what Jerusalem's built on? Jerusalem's built on Mount Carmel. You know where Mount Carmel is? Mount Carmel's where a fellow by the name of Abraham carried a young boy by the name of Isaac. His only begotten son. And he gave him the wood to carry up on Mount Carmel because they had to, had, had to have a place for fire. They had to have a place for an altar there. So Isaac, the only begotten son of the father of Abraham, carried the cross, carried the wood. Jesus carried the wood up to Mount Carmel. They crucified him there. Uh, The crucifixion began about 9 in the morning. He'd been up all night. He was praying in the garden. They came to get him at midnight. All the back and forth uh, with... with, uh, uh, Caiaphas and Pilate and Herod and Pilate, all that had occurred uh, during the course of the, between midnight and nine or so in the morning. And by nine o'clock, uh, he had carried the cross up to Golgotha's hill. They nailed him there. And at, and at 12 o'clock noon, from the hour of 12, uh, the Bible says from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, but from, from noontime till three in the afternoon. Uh, how many of y'all remember... Maybe some of y'all saw, saw some of this. How many of y'all remember uh, several months ago when we had a total eclipse of the sun, right? In Nashville, right? Totally dark during the time of the eclipse. The sun, uh, the, the, the moon passes between us and the sun at just that right time, just that right place, so that there's an eclipse. It goes totally dark. I saw a clip on, the, uh, on Facebook, some friends of ours, uh, the Cobbs, Cobbs, that used to be our neighbors and now live in Kansas City. Uh, and they had posted a video on the internet of the time, and you could see it getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. 
and the lights go out. I mean, it's just like nighttime, right? You can see the street lights coming on, all these things going on. Total eclipse of the sun. You know how long it lasted? About three minutes. Then all of a sudden it starts turning light again, gradually, gradually, more light, and it continues to grow lighter. It was dark from 12 noon till 3 in the afternoon. It wasn't an eclipse of the sun, my friends. It was not some, uh, uh, some magical trick that's going on. It was God himself, while his wrath was being poured out on his son, while he was there on the cross crying, it is finished, uh, and, uh, and crying out, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. All of these things that he cried out there on the cross, Finally, it says he cried out with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. They carried him to the new tomb of one, uh, one Simon that was there, that was with them. There's that, uh, what, Joseph, Joseph, thank you, Joseph of Aramea. They, Simon the Serene is the one that helped him carry the cross. Uh, so they carried him to Joseph's new tomb where a man had never been placed. You know who was with Joseph and asked for the body of Christ? Nicodemus. A couple of, couple of secret disciples show up after his death. And Nicodemus is there with Joseph. And they go and they bury him. And if I left him in the tomb here this morning, it would be of all men. Uh, it would be, we would be of all men most sad. But we find on the first day of the week, the ladies come back to the tomb. Notice it's the ladies. Uh, it's not the men that went looking. The men are hiding. They're scared. They're, they're scared they're going to be captured, taken captive. Uh, Mary and Mary and Mary. Three Marys. Go to, the, go to the tomb. They're going there to apply ointment to Jesus to anoint him in his death on the first day of the week. When they get there, the stone is... They, you know, they talked on the way there. They were like, you know, they've got this big stone covering up Jesus' tomb. How are we going to get that thing rolled back? You know, and they had to have known there were Roman soldiers there, and they were going anyway. They get there, the Roman soldiers are faded off to the side, the stones rolled out of the way, the tomb is empty, and I may be combining because there's several different back and forth here to the to the tomb during all this. But to give you the essence of the story, they 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 inquire, "Where is he?" And they said, "The angel of the Lord said, he's not here. He is risen." I'm telling you, we have a risen Savior. We don't have one that's in a tomb. Uh, you can go to Jerusalem. I think it's great. I've been once, may go again. Uh, but uh, And it's wonderful to see all those things. But there's one thing I'm not looking to find. I'm not looking to find the place where Jesus' body's laid because he's not there. You look at all the things that happened over the course of that week leading up to that. All the things, how they conspired against him, my friends, our Savior. I wanted to ask y'all a question as I thought about this some this this morning and over the last night, thinking about some of these things. And I thought about when you think about Jesus being persecuted falsely, when you think about him being beaten there on that on that, when you think about him carrying, when you think about him on the cross. Let me ask y'all a question this morning. Can you, can you see him? I know we don't know what his face looks like. I know we may not know his exact physical care. Can you see the agony he went through? Can you feel just a little bit of what he went through for you? Do you think it's not, it's not appropriate for us to lay down our lives in a, in a sense? I'm not talking about death. But isn't it appropriate for us to lay down our lives considering what all he did for us? I think you know the answer. Uh, let us serve him and let us be in awe of him and let us be thankful for him during this time. And may God bless you to think about this, not only today but in the week that comes. And may the Lord bless us to rejoice in a risen Savior. May God bless you.